We are in Galatians chapter 3 today, looking at verses 10 through 18. Page 1398, if you have a pew Bible. No, a lot of Galatians is starting to sound like it's a series of the same sermon. Maybe it's because Paul hammers on the same topic a lot, because it's an important, significant, persisting, necessary topic. There is a persistence of this weird, Judaizing, law-loving, Jewish law imposing breed of Christianity today. And it's on this broad spectrum, perhaps, of how it persists or how it exists. I've met people, I'm sure you've met people who say, his name is Yahweh. His name is Yah. His son's name is Yeshua. And furthermore, we should pray only to Yahweh. And as for Yeshua, he's God's son, yes, but... The word Trinity is not in the Scriptures, and the Scriptures only call Yeshua the Son of God, so I'm going to pray only to Yahweh. Kind of this diminishing of Christ, because we follow Yahweh. Don't eat pork. The law says that pigs are unclean. Why do we believers in Yahweh eat pork or bacon? I've met some, because it's good. I've met some people. (laughs) I've met some people. I had sausage yesterday, sorry. Um. I've met people who say, don't celebrate Christmas. It's a very pagan holiday. I remember when I first heard that, that that poor me, I grew up in a Christian household in the 90s, and I believed uh, during Christmas I celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and was just blown away by the idea that Christians shouldn't celebrate the Savior's birth. But I was mistaken. I was misinformed. They were talking about the mistletoe and the holly green and Magical Santa who travels down chimneys and rewards of presents for good behavior or damages of coal for bad behavior and all that is pagan origins. And in places like Deuteronomy 12, it specifically says not to worship like other nations do. And we were born in one of those other nations with holidays informed by other nations. And furthermore, we actually have feast days from the Bible that we never seem to do and isn't the Christmas tree just an idol? Jeremiah 10, 2 through 4, talks about how the customs of some people who tear down trees, adorn it, we're not doing the same. Now, a lot of this is summed up in a movement. Some have called Jewish roots or Hebraic roots movement. It is nice to know that in an organization called Jews for Jesus, some have seen how this has drifted into error. In fact, uh, one article from an ethnically Jewish Christian man named Stephen Katz, he writes, Hebraic roots teachers call upon believers to study Hebrew and learn about Jewish culture, which most of us can appreciate. More often than not, however, they call Gentiles to a Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible and the law, observant and or festival observant, lifestyle as a means of drawing closer to Jesus and being conformed to his image. The implication is is if you really want to please God, if you really want to be holy, here are the rules. 
even though most do not believe these observances are necessary for one's salvation, there's often an implication that this is the higher way. Scripture warns against such things. When believers forsake apostolic teaching, and when they downgrade the Greek New Testament text, they often elevate the roots of their faith above the faith itself. They are in danger. Interesting. There are churches that practice Seder mills, which is the ritual feast that happened at Passover. Likely the the feast that Jesus and the disciples that were having at the Last Supper. There are churches that state that they observe the law better than other Christians do. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy, so let's do church on Saturday. Well, Kevin, this is all in the Old Testament. What's bad about this? Well, it's like what Mr. Katz wrote, that while we can appreciate studying other cultures, such as the culture that Jesus was immersed in, there seems to be a moment in most people's lives that suddenly they take appreciation, they move it to admiration, and then they move it to exaltation. And it leads to complete, leads to us completely missing the point of the New Testament. The point that Jesus made, and I believe the point that Paul is making throughout the book of Galatians. And so if you would like to stand on the promises, <laughs> and uh, let's read Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 18 together. Paul writes, All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Now, it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law, however, is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing promised to Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers, let me put this in human terms. Even a human covenant, once it is ratified, cannot be canceled or amended. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many, but and to your seed, meaning one, who is Christ. What I mean, what I mean is this, the law that came 430 years later does not revoke the covenant previously established by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise, but God freely granted it to Abraham through a promise. And Kevin, how come we didn't read that in the message so I can understand it? So I have a sermon today, that's why. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, your word addresses not only timely things, but timeless things. Thank you that you invite us to understand it by your Holy Spirit's power, that these words are more than black ink on white pages or words on screens, but Father, with your Holy Spirit, they have power to change hearts and minds, to transform minds, to conform us to your image. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take the efforts that I put in this last week and multiply it, use it for your glory and for the good of all your people. 
Um, help us to be open, receptive to what you would say to us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Being recorded, went to Bible school so I can come up with three topics that start with the same letter for our sermon. Cursed, Christ, covenant. That's our movement today. Cursed, Christ, covenant. And as we think about cursed, Christ, and covenant, I think we can all identify. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I understand the curse. My weight problem understands the curse. My sporadic brain that never seems content with what translation of the Bible, or that never seems content with my sermons, which is why I rewrote this on Friday after pulling my hair out all week. It, it all understands the curse. The fact that people are arguing over how bad it is that the Supreme Court passed a law that potentially, literally, saves the mass murder of babies every day, that represents why we don't understand the curse. Whenever you sin and cannot stop sinning, even though you feel guilty about it, that understands the curse. Whenever you explode with anger and then blame your parents, your grandparents, or your personality, I'm a J-E-R-K, that's the curse. Whenever you read the Bible and say things like, that's a good idea, that's a good life, I want that life, but your actions end up in more sinning and more problems and not doing what the Word of God says. You understand the curse. And Paul says this, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. That's part of the curse. To rely on works of the law puts you under a curse. Why? For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Paul uses a text that I brought up a few weeks ago as if I was reading ahead. Deuteronomy 27:26 Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do what? Everything. Everything written in the book of the law. How many things? Everything. There is no pick and choose. The law says keep me to be counted righteous and you say okay, I'll pick and choose. It says not to eat pork. I won't eat pork. It says to keep the Sabbath. I'll go to church on, on Saturday and convinced me that myself, that must be what it means to keep the Sabbath. It's just to go to a church on a Saturday. It says practice these festivals. I'll keep these festivals. Oh, it says to go to Jerusalem. Well, I can't afford the airfare. Oh, it says to go to the temple. There's no more temple in operation today. Well, we'll skip those and God will understand. Okay, but who's the decider on what laws I should keep? And what laws I should not keep. And, and what do we do with scary passages like Deuteronomy 27, 26, which says, if I don't keep all the laws, I'm cursed. Because are we not saying that we need to keep the law to be saved if we think we need to do the law? Well, maybe we don't understand the law then. You don't understand the law and how the law operated and what the law demands because of this simple truth that you and I now physically, literally, are completely unable to keep the law for reasons beyond our control 
Namely, no temple, the money necessary for travel to Jerusalem, not to mention the laws that we could likely do, but might find completely distasteful and inconvenient. And Paul says, now it is clear, it is evident, so says the ESV, that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law, however, is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Seems pretty cut and dry. It is for Paul. He says it was clear, it's evident. No one is justified before God by the law. But look at Paul's reasoning. He takes it from the prophets. Now, there were some Jews who only upheld the first five books of the Bible. That would be the Sadducees. They would be what we might call rather liberal, loosey-goosey Jews. But the sort of law-loving Galatian teachers would likely be more, likely be more along the lines of Pharisees who not only subscribed to the law as being authoritative, but also had a thorough knowledge and appreciation of the prophets and among the prophets being Habakkuk. And that's just a name I love to say. Um, and you don't have to now, but maybe later I would encourage you to read Habakkuk. I uh, preached through it uh, here through, uh, though that was way back in 2015. I would remember it was in the middle of the fire. So, but where Paul is pulling this from, at first glance, it would seem that like Paul might be pulling out one pearl from a string, right? It seems like it might be a little out of context. Because the context of what Paul's talking about here, namely, how is one justified or saved from the wrath of God? Is it by works of the law? No, by faith. That's what Habakkuk says. But... Habakkuk's statement on the righteous will live by faith is in the context of this. Habakkuk cries out to God, Your people are super unholy, super unjust. Bad things are just going on. Where are you, God? What are you doing? And God answers, Well, you asked. I'm sending a ruthless horde of Babylonians to take my people captive as discipline and punishment for how sinful and rotten my people are being. You're getting the Kevin's Lane summarized version. And then Habakkuk understandably says, well, wait, you can't do that. The Babylonians are worse than we are. How does that work? And in the midst of this catastrophe, God notes, generally speaking, two types of people. Look at the proud one. His soul is not upright, but the righteous will live by faith. See, it could be this, where Habakkuk saw God's people, good. Babylonians, bad. The God who received Ruth the Moabite, the God who called Cyrus the Persian leader a Messiah, Isaiah 45.1, most Bibles use anointed, but the Hebrew term there is the same as where we get Messiah. That God says, here's what I see. Babylonian, Israelite, how about who trusts me? That's what faith means. Fidelity, trust. Who trusts me? The righteous person trusts me, and the righteous person will live by faith. As for the proud one, the cocky person, the person who says, I got this God, leave me alone. <laughs> that one is not upright. And so in this turmoil of, of Habakkuk, the turmoil of scary Babylonians overtaking Israel, the righteous will live by faith. 
And the Holy Spirit-inspired Paul says that's how Abraham received righteousness. That's how God's people have always lived righteously, by faith. Now listen to this too, it's interesting. Paul again, again, he's he's set the stage. Abraham, that's in our earlier in Galatians 3, righteousness granted to him by faith. God said to Habakkuk, righteous people live by faith. But then Paul says, verse 12, the law, however, is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things, the law, will live by them. Now, that being a quote from Leviticus 18.5. Here's what Paul is saying. The Bible itself and God himself seems to have set up a dichotomy, two roads. One may attain and be righteous by faith. The other may attain and be righteous by following the law. Does that make sense? Now, it's telling then what Jesus says memorably in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Though the God who wrote the scriptures knows that there are two possible ways of salvation, and I want you to hear the word possible, prescribes that only one is doable. Through Jesus. The other road is cursed. It's got thorns all along the way. Because we cannot continue to do everything written in the book of the law. It is impossible now for physical and time-related reasons, but it's really always been impossible for moral, curse-originated, sin-ridden reasons. We just can't. We always want that forbidden fruit, or my stomach does. We always think that though something is disobedient, it is also comfortable and convenient and gratifying. It's worth it. We always think God's law is trying to rob us from joy and not spare us from harm when the latter is true that road is cursed that's where christ comes in got to follow along in my c words we're moving from cursed to christ and as far as the law goes paul then says verse 13 here christ redeemed us from the curse of the law i want you to hear that paul says the law brings us only curse But Christ has become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed, or cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree, quoting Deuteronomy 21, 23 there. Many have seen the book of Galatians as the abridged form of the book of Romans. So if you're like, man, I wish I could read Romans in one sitting. I'll just read the abridged, Galatians. But because it has so many similar themes, and this theme is clearly expanded in Romans 3. And I've preached on it several times, but verses 21 through 25 says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed as attested by the law and the prophets. And this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no distinction. So here is the dichotomy again. Two roads. One road being the law. And then the other road, apart from the law, faith in Christ Jesus. Furthermore, the first road, Paul says here, attests to the second road. The law has pointed people to Jesus. We'll talk about that more next week. Paul continues in verse 323, a verse you've never heard. It's completely new to you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely 
by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, Christ presented Him as the atoning sacrifice through faith in His blood. And that's what Paul is talking about back in Galatians. The righteous will live by faith. People are saved from the curse of the law when Jesus became a curse for us. Substitution. And this whole dichotomy, this whole deal, this road of righteousness by the law, but unattainable, the road of righteousness by faith in Christ, it's always been part of the plan. That's what Paul's saying. This isn't new. (laughs) He's saying if people would just, you know, read their Bibles, understand their law in the light of Christ, the first road attests to the second road, Christ. Paul says he, Christ, redeemed us in order that the blessing promised to Abraham would come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So first, we talked about this last week. You were all here. Maybe not. No. But the blessing promised to Abraham. Do you remember that blessing? It's in the original accounts of Abraham where the Jewish people would say, Abraham, that guy. Paul is saying that the Bible says it's always been a worldwide thing. It's always been a Jew and Gentile thing. Because we read, God said to him in Genesis 12, 3, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Right? You get all the families of the just your family, Abraham. No, all the families. This is provided to us by the redemption Christ gives us and the faith in that redemption. Not keeping the law and law that wasn't even around when Abraham was given that promise. And we know Paul is saying that blessing was for everyone, Jews and Gentiles, by faith. Because both Jews and Gentiles are receiving the promise of the Spirit. Right? If that promised blessing was just for Jews, ethnically of Abraham, why are Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit? The blessing, or the Holy Spirit, is actually promised in places like Isaiah 44, which actually states, this is very interesting, but now listen, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen, this is the word of the Lord, your maker, who formed you from the womb and who will help you. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun. One of those weird words they decided to leave untranslated, but it means the upright one. It's referring to Jacob and Israel. Whom I have chosen. Verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and currents on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. So I wonder if you hear why the early church had to have a council to realize that the amazing reality of the Holy Spirit, the promise of salvation, was for everyone. Whenever you have Old Testament prophecies like this stating, Jacob, Israel, my servant, you will receive my spirit and my blessing. This is the promise. And you're like, yeah, that concerns me. Why is it just to Israel? Well... Not to jump ahead, but we'll talk about it later in Galatians 3, that the offspring of Abraham are turning out to be the offspring who share his faith more than share his blood. 
In fact, Paul's going to say that again at the end of Galatians chapter 3. So instead of being cursed on the road of this road of righteousness, which is in the law, we must take the road of Christ. And in fact, Paul says that's been the promise all along. That's been the covenant all along. We're in the third sea, cursed Christ and covenant. That's his last point. As we, as I guess it's my last point. He continues on. You can read ahead. But Paul would continue back in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 15. He says, brothers and sisters, let me put this in human terms. Even a human covenant, once it is ratified, cannot be canceled or amended. That's simple enough logic. My parents and I are considering getting a new phone plan with a different service provider because for some reason when everything else goes up, so does our phone bill. Surprise, surprise. But some people are selling phone plans that advertise what? No contract plan. Which means you can get out at any time. When God covenants... He's God. He means what He says for the duration of time that He sets it for. You know, and I was thinking, you know, Jesus argued about tenses of words. Do you remember that time when some Sadducees approached Jesus? They got in the direction. What did Jesus say? God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not was. God's the God of the living, not of the dead. Well, Paul seems to argue individual individual versus plural nouns here. And about God's covenant with humanity, Paul says, verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say antecedes, meaning many, but anti your seed, meaning one who is Christ. This is what Christian means. It's all about Christ. And so if anyone wants to open up the law and says, be circumcised, do what the law says, Paul unashamedly and I unashamedly and Christians, uh, literally Christians meaning little Christs, unashamedly should echo our Lord in Christ and says, no, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. It's not about the law, it's about Christ. It's not about Abraham and his descendants, plural, it's about his descendant, Christ. In Christ you are blessed, in Christ you have His Spirit. And God was speaking to Abraham saying, through you and your seed, the same seed of Eve who would crush the serpent's head in Genesis 3.15, through that seed the world would be blessed. And it is. Paul continues, verse 17, what I mean is this, the law that came 430 years later. Now people love to argue, how did Paul get 430 years? If you're interested in that argument, go Google it and... Study it to your heart's content. I'm not going to talk about it. The point is, as Paul is saying, a law that came in the time of Moses does not revoke the covenant previously established by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise, but God freely granted it to Abraham through a promise. In plain Jane logic, Paul saying this, God gave a promise to Abraham. He's not going to renege on that promise. And then some might say, but the law seems to have everything to do with what that promise was about, namely, how to be righteous. And Paul says, not so. God made a promise there. The law was not a promise. It was a path. 
How do you become righteous? How do you be righteous? And simply because we, we see that in the law does not mean that God has suddenly done away with His promise to make us righteous. It's as, it's as if I told you, and I, here's my lousy illustration, but it's all I got. If I told you, you know, at a time in the future, I shall buy you a brand new Dodge Ram. That's my promise to you. But then as you're waiting, what if I gave you an instruction manual on how to make that Dodge Ram? That doesn't mean I'm suddenly not going to buy you one, but now you have the information on how to make one. You're welcome to try and make one. But the odds are, if you're not an expert car mechanic and creator, and if you don't have all the equipment, and if you don't have all the money, it would be impossible for you to make one. And then, to use language from the book we're in, Galatians 4.4, what if in the fullness of time, I brought you that promised Dodge Ram, and then it would be available for you, And furthermore, perhaps you might appreciate that Dodge Ram all the more because you've been let in on how it's made and how it runs and the fact you couldn't make one. But now you know a lot more about it. God freely grants the promise which comes at the right time. Paul says, and as for the law, Paul's going to talk about why it came as we continue in Galatians next time. Cursed Christ covenant. I wonder... If, like me, you feel the curse sometimes. You feel the curse because of your sins, but oddly enough, you feel the curse in trying to manage your sins and trying to overcome your sins and trying to defeat and conquer and win over your sins. You get Paul's words, but like me sometimes, in action, you seem to ignore them. You forego them. And maybe you got your own law and your own punishments. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I've sinned again. And then you go through rituals of self-guilt and Worry and prayer and okay, let's try this again. And maybe to fix yourself, you look into everything else. Maybe you look into the law and you say, well, it's in the Bible. I'm still sinning. Have I been missing something? I want to draw closer to God and be a better Christian. And maybe I should familiarize and practice more law. But that just leads to more curse. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. What you and I need is Christ. Righteousness comes by faith, not by law. And when you and I say, Christ, I cannot keep the law, I keep failing, I keep failing, instead of trusting my own efforts and instead of beating myself with this instruction booklet on how to build a Dodge Ram, if you catch my illustration, help me instead to trust the author. To allow the author to work righteousness in me. To trust that the author saves me from my sin. Because that has been the covenant all along. Before the law came, the promise came. The only promise. The promise that's been around for all time. And the promise that's realized in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, it seems like the enemy has a few favorite deceptions and hooks he likes to put on people. And throughout much of human history, it seems like we're always drawn away from the simple truth that you save us. Father, we're going to hear next week and the weeks to come that the law, simply because it leads to our curse and never doesn't mean it's a bad thing by itself. You've given us the law as a guardian, as a teacher. But Father, help us to never place the words that you wrote for a specific purpose above 
the person, the God who wrote them, the author who wrote them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you save us. That the promise is, is if we simply trust in you, simply by faith, you give us righteousness. Sure, you declare us righteous before God so we don't have to fear the punishment of wrath, but you also give us righteousness. You give us the Holy Spirit's power to become more righteous and more like you. So thank you for that truth. We pray that we would apply it, that we would continue trusting in you and in not the law. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.